Greetings and welcome to the Eat It Lose podcast, a gustatory adventure in culinary delights. I am your host, Lisa Beisinger, and in this podcast, I cook up recipes from the past and taste them while talking about the history and science of food. In this episode, I will be discovering the joys of jello with three savory jello recipes. I might also make jello shots because it might be the only way that I'll make it through the tasting. But I have been surprised before, so I am keeping an open mind. Two of the recipes that I'm going to cook today are from Jell-O Classic Recipes, published in 2002. These are cucumber sour cream mold and tomato gazpacho. I chose these recipes because they were both pretty similar to recipes in earlier books. Variations on the cucumber sour cream mold pop up in both The Joys of Jell-O from 1963 and The New Joys of Jell-O from 1973. Tomato-based gelatin recipes pop up in the oldest Jell-O cookbooks in my collection, but they also pop up in plenty of non-Jell-O cookbooks, including The American Woman's Cookbook and The Joy of Cooking. The third recipe is tuna salad from Joys of Jell-O. This recipe goes out to Comrade Quack, my secret Santa from last year. She sent me a copy of the new Joys of Jell-O with a sticky note marking the page for Spanish tuna salad, saying that it looked disgusting. The tuna salad from Joys of Jell-O looks worse. I have a lot of things to chop and prepare, so I'm gonna start doing that. I have to put on some water to boil for two of the recipes and boil up some tomato juice for the third recipe. So I'm gonna get started on that. The gazpacho salad is the one that calls for the tomato juice. It also calls for one cup of diced tomato, one cup of diced peeled cucumber, one quarter cup of diced green pepper, two tablespoons of diced red pepper, two tablespoons of thinly sliced green onion, two tablespoons of vinegar, a quarter teaspoon of pepper, an eighth teaspoon of garlic powder, one and a half cups of tomato juice, which I just turned on to boil, and one package of lemon jello. My second recipe is the cucumber sour cream mold, which calls for one and a half cups of boiling water, one package, one large package of lime jello, a quarter teaspoon of salt, all of which are combined, and then Cold water, a cup and a half, is added to that along with a tablespoon of lemon juice. That goes into the refrigerator for about an hour and 15 minutes. Then a half cup of Miracle Whip salad dressing and a cup of Breakstone's sour cream is added. It goes back into the refrigerator to solidify a little bit more. And then a cup and a half of chopped, seeded, peeled cucumber two tablespoons of minced onion, and one teaspoon of dill are added. I actually jumped time because I had the tomato juice boiling on the stove and I started the kettle for the boiling water for the cucumber sour cream mold and the kettle was so loud that I turned off the microphone so that I could take care of the boiling water and now I'm back. So both of my base gelatins, the one for the gazpacho salad and the sour cream mold are ready and in the refrigerator. My third recipe is the tuna salad, which calls for one package of lemon, lemon lime, or lime jello. I'm going to use lemon jello. 
which I'm going to dump into the bowl right now, along with a half teaspoon of salt, and into the lemon jello and the salt, I'm going to add one cup of boiling water. So I need to stir this for about two minutes, and then I add three quarters of a cup of cold water and one tablespoon of lemon juice, along with a half cup of mayo and one teaspoon of grated onion. Then that goes into the refrigerator, and once it solidifies a good bit, I add a half cup of chopped cucumber, one half cup of sliced olives, two tablespoons of chopped pimento, and seven ounces of canned tuna. The caption on the picture of the book says, the mayonnaise makes the salad creamy, which is a phrase that fills me with dread. Now, I actually don't mind tuna salad. I'm actually quite fond of it. But the idea of having it suspended in jello scares me just a bit. I have never tried any of these recipes, nor have I ever tried a savory jello salad. Once when I was a kid, I attended a potluck where one of my aunts brought a savory jello salad. When she asked if I tried it, I glanced over at the glistening concoction of lime jello and vegetables, and I told her that I didn't eat green things. Admittedly, it was a rather pathetic lie, but I didn't know what else to say, and it was the first thing that popped into my mind. I'm not entirely sure that she believed me. Okay, this is stirred enough, so I'm gonna add in my cold water, lemon juice, and mayo, which I have all measured out already. I have the feeling that the mayo is gonna be a little, little reluctant to fold in very easily. So I'm gonna stir this for a little while while I talk to you a bit about gelatin. So what is gelatin? In the culinary world, gelatin is a colorless and tasteless water-soluble protein prepared from collagen and used as the base for jellies, aspics, gummy candy, marshmallows, gelatin desserts, some ice creams, and dips. It can also be used as a major ingredient or to just adjust texture. It is mostly made by boiling skin, tendons, ligaments, and bones with water. Food-grade gelatin is usually made from cows or pigs, although some kosher gelatins may be made with fish instead. For this episode, we're mostly going to be talking about aspics and gelatin salads rather than the other things that gelatin can be used to make. We've time hopped again. I was having a little bit of trouble mixing in the mayo into the jello mixture, so I grabbed the whisk, and so I skipped over that because of the noise. But to continue on, I finished that up. It's nicely mixed. I added in a teaspoon of grated onion, as it said in the recipe, and popped it in the fridge. So now I am free to chop up stuff and talk to you about aspects. So I'm gonna start off by chopping up some tomato for the gazpacho salad. An aspic is a dish in which the ingredients are set into a gelatin made with brown or white meat stock or consomme. According to the American Woman's Cookbook dating to 1938, it is used to enclose 
a variety of foods in a mold or to give a transparent coating of shining, sparkling finish. Various foods may be molded in an aspic. For instance, stuffed olives, plain or stuffed tomatoes, eggs, birds, beef tongue, chicken salad, or a mousse. The book continues, the aspects give ample opportunity to show inventiveness and in design, for they are usually elaborately decorated. Non-savory dishes, often made with jello or Knox gelatin without meat stock, are usually called gelatin salads. It seems that jello uses the term jello salad when there are chunky bits suspended in the jello, regardless of if it's a savory dish or a sweet dish. They rarely use the term aspic, usually reserving it for a savory dish that doesn't have chunky bits, such as tomato aspic, which is a recipe in the Jell-O Salad Selector book. You can see a picture of the Jell-O Salad Selector book on my website, eatatlose.com. But why were there so many gelatin-based salads in the 1950s and 1960s? In order to answer this question, we must look back a few centuries. The earliest evidence of the gelatin making process dates back to prehistoric times. Like today, gelatin was made by boiling down scraps of animal skin and bone. But rather than being used to make multicolored desserts, this gelatin was used to make paint and glue. We don't get evidence for edible gelatin until the early 15th century. These dishes were made with pig ears and feet and offered some advantage for medieval cooks since encasing meats and vegetables in gelatin delays spoilage. They would also look very cool to medieval diners. However, these dishes were very time intensive to make. To illustrate this point, let's look at Hannah Glassie's 1747 book, The Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy to describe this process. Glassy writes, take out the great bones of four calves feet, put the feet into a pot with 10 quarts of water, three ounces of hartshorn, three ounces of isinglass, a nutmeg quartered, and four blades of mace. Then boil this till it comes to two quarts, strain it through a flannel bag, and let it sit for 24 hours. Then scrape off all of the fat from the top very clean then slice it. Put to it the whites of six eggs beaten to a froth, boil it a little, and then strain it through a flannel bag. Then run the jelly into little high glasses. A lot of these steps that she describes are actually there to help clarify the gelatin, make it clearer. This basic recipe has some variations in the book. It could be flavored with fruit, such as currants, filled with meat, or presented in colored layers. After preparing the basic gelatin, Glassy suggests that the cook color red with cochineal, green with spinach, yellow with saffron, blue with syrup of violets, and white with thick cream. In a tall glass, run every color as thick as your finger. One color must be thorough cold before you put another on, and that you put on must not be blood warm for fear it mixed together. You may add wine and sugar and lemon, if you please, but this is all fancy. She actually says that in the book. This is all fancy. 
Because this whole process was very time intensive, gelatin-based dishes were most commonly the purview of the upper classes of society. From these early jellies, the first aspects began to appear on upper class European tables in the late 1700s. Aspics, you'll remember, are crystal clear jellies made with meat stock, which are used to glaze or to encase whole or sliced ingredients. These glistening dishes were served as cold showpieces. Probably the most famous advocate for aspics was the 19th century French chef Antonin Carême, whose name you'll remember for being the first to define the mother sauces. I talked about that a few episodes ago. He included aspics in a category he called chauffois, dishes that were cooked and then served cold, so hot, cold. Carême created intricate creations of chauffois with many of the elements encased in or glazed with aspic. And while I've been talking, I've been chopping away, I'm almost done with the ingredients for the gazpacho salad. I have just a little bit more red pepper to cut and some green onion. The rise in the popularity for gelatin-based dishes created an opportunity for inventors. The first patent for a gelatin dessert mix was filed by Peter Cooper, an inventor, entrepreneur, and glue magnate. His concoction was a granulated mixture of gelatin, lemons, sugar, eggs, and spices, which did not catch on at all. However, in 1887, cough syrup manufacturer Pearl B. Waite entered the gelatin dessert game by producing a combination of sugar, gelatin, flavor, and color that his wife dubbed Jello. They developed four flavors, strawberry, raspberry, orange, and lemon, but they lacked skill in marketing, so they sold the product and the trademark to Genesee Pure Food Company in 1899. It took just a few years for Jell-O to gain popularity. In order to increase demand, the Genesee Pure Food Company began giving out cookbooks of Jell-O recipes. After the product caught on, the subsequent decades were dotted with jiggling, jewel-colored creations from both Jell-O and its competitor, Knox. These fashionable new dishes appeared in the first edition of The Joy of Cooking, which featured 45 gelatin recipes, including two emergency aspic recipes for when you really need an aspic in a hurry. The trick is to use canned bullion or bullion cubes. But lots of products are initially popular but can't maintain that popularity over time. So why is it that Jell-O only grew in popularity for nearly 70 years? Well, there's actually a few different reasons. First, gelatin, especially Jell-O, is economically, both financially and time-wise. It's rather quick to prepare, and it's a great way to use leftovers or incorporate canned goods into your meals. In The Joy of Cooking, Irma S. Rombauer wrote that any clever person can take a few desolate-looking icebox leftovers and glorify them into a tempting aspic salad. A home cook can easily grab some chicken from last night, open a few cans of vegetables, and whip up a relatively attractive dish. Plus, since sugar was already included in the packet, housewives didn't have to use their expensive household sugar for jello desserts. 
which was important because sugar back then was quite expensive. Second, gelatin recipes were ubiquitous. They were featured in magazine advertisements given away for free or for a small cost from both Knox and Jell-O, and they were a common feature of cookbooks. Gelatin dishes were seen as a desirable dish to make simply because they were featured all over the place. Third, Jell-O doesn't make much of a mess, unless you're me who makes a mess of everything. But generally, everything can be combined in a single bowl, which can also serve as a mold if you're so inclined. Plus, unlike a lettuce salad, Jell-O salad stays on the plate. It is both cuttable and scoopable, and its components are glued together, making it ideal for potluck dinners. Finally, they were a sign of conspicuous consumption. As electricity became more commonly available in American homes, making gelatin dishes became a great way to show off a new refrigerator. You could serve something that's cold and refreshing to your guests. In the early years, Jell-O recipe books were divided between sweet and savory dishes. In Jell-O Brings Dozens of Answers, a pamphlet published in 1928, about a quarter of the dishes were savory salads. In 1930, the pamphlet Quick Easy Jell-O Wonder Dishes, savory dishes comprised about a third of the recipes. In response to demand, Jell-O continued to expand their product line from the original four flavors, orange, lemon, strawberry, and raspberry. In 1930, they introduced lime, and by 1960, they had added even more fruit flavors, including black raspberry, cherry, orange, pineapple, lemon lime, mixed fruit, pineapple grapefruit, strawberry banana, tropical fruit, and orange banana. Most of these have been discontinued. They also introduced a line of savory jello for salads with the inaugural flavors, celery and mixed vegetable, which were featured in the 1963 book, Joys of Jell-O. Later, Jell-O expanded their savory line to include seasoned tomato and Italian salad. But by 1973, the Jell-O for salads flavors had all quietly disappeared, never to be seen again. The New Joys of Jell-O, published in 1973, was the next major Jell-O recipe book. And while the Jell-O for salads flavor line had died, about a quarter of the recipes in the book were still savory. Nonetheless, the 1970s marked the beginning of the decline of the savory Jell-O salad. By 1990, there were fewer and fewer savory recipes in Jell-O cookbooks, and the book that I'm using today, Jell-O Classic Recipes, published in 2002, only had two savory recipes, gazpacho salad and cucumber sour cream mold, both of which I'm making. I actually just finished the ingredients for the cucumber sour cream mold and added the sour cream and mayo to the Jell-O mixture to let you know where I am in the preparation. I've since moved on to the tuna salad ingredients. I'm chopping up some cucumber for that. The decline in the popularity of savory jello salads was partly due to changes in food trends. You know, jello stuck around for a really long time, but eventually trends change. Plus, there was an increased awareness about sugar consumption in the 1970s and 1980s. 
Jell-O did come out with sugar-free varieties in 1984, but this did little to increase the popularity of savory Jell-O salads. People wanted leafy green salads instead of jiggly yellow, red, and green ones. This doesn't mean that there still isn't a place for aspics and savory jellies. The American Culinary Federation Competition Guidelines states that dishes prepared hot but displayed cold should be glazed with aspic. And there are still restaurants that make dishes served in aspic. But generally, these are not made with powdered flavored gelatin. And there are still pockets in the United States where jello salads are popular. As discussed in Sarah Gray's article, A Social History of Jello Salad, plain jello and sweet jello salads remain popular in the rural Midwest and Deep South. Savory jello salads do, however, remain popular in Utah and other heavily Mormon areas. There will be at least four or five kinds of jello salads at any event, almost all of them savory. Sarah Hillam of Roosevelt, Utah, told the LA Times. In fact, this region is often nicknamed the Jell-O Belt, and in 2001, the state of Utah named Jell-O its official state snack. Even as Jell-O salad has gone the wayside, Jell-O is still going strong. As of 2008, there are more than 158 products sold under the Jell-O brand name, with 300 million boxes of Jell-O gelatin sold in the United States each year. And while Jell-O would prefer it not to be so, their sales are probably helped quite a bit by the old college staple, Jell-O shots. And I have officially finished cutting up all of my ingredients. The only thing left to do is to open my can of tuna, which you can probably guess what that means. Here you go. Well, I think that is it for now. I'm going to let my jello set and I'll be back in a few hours for the tasting. Well, it's been about five hours and it's time for the tasting. After about an hour and a half, I mixed in the chunky bits into the jellos. And then a few hours later, it was all set. So it was all ready to come out of the mold. I soaked the mold in warm water and everything came out of the molds perfectly. So all that worked out great. And now it's time for the tasting. So I'm going to taste this in order of the one that I am dreading. I'm going to try that first. So that is the tuna salad. So I have some crackers here and a nice little slice of the tuna salad. Nice big piece of tuna shining out at me. One thing that I'm a little dreading about this particular dish is the olives. I'm not a huge fan of green olives. I, I like Kalamata olives, black olives, green olives, not so much. But I'm gonna give it a try. I'm gonna make sure that I have a piece of olive and I'll try it without the olive as well putting it on a piece of cracker, making sure that I have pretty much all of the different bits and pieces. I have some tuna in there and some cucumber and some pimento and an olive. So I put it into my mouth and initially I was like, oh, this isn't actually too bad. 
Even the green olive. The green olive actually added a nice little tanginess that went well with the tuna. So it's important to be open-minded. So that was the initial taste. It was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then the flavor of the jello came in. And it was just like, I all of a sudden got hit with this sweetness and this artificial lemon flavor. And it was like, oh, no, no, no. Oh. So that was my experience. And then it, it mellowed out a little. And the final taste wasn't too bad. I have a lingering taste of mayonnaise and tuna, which, as I mentioned before, I am fond of tuna salad. So that's an okay flavor for me. So not too bad. Don't need to go into the jello shots yet. I am going to take a second bite of this, see if it's better on the second bite. And I'm eating this on a lovely buttery cracker. Oh, got hit by a lot of olive on that one. Oh, oh, okay, it's gone. So pretty much the same flavor experience, the same flavor adventure, as I say. It started out really nice, and then I ha and then I got the sickly sweet of the jello again, and then it was okay, and then I got hit by the olive. Oh, oh, I can still taste it. Second bite was worse than the first. I'm scared of the dish now. Okay, now now for number two. This is the cucumber sour cream mold. Oh, I'm gonna have to lick off my fork. I forgot to bring other forks out. Oh, it just tasted like jello and mayo. Oh! Now it is time for the cucumber sour cream mold. And this turned out an odd, unnatural color somewhere in the realm of mint green. This one was the one that had the base of lime jello, so it's going to be a different flavor adventure. I'm going to grab a cracker. I'm not sure if this one should be eaten on a cracker or not. I might actually, instead of using the buttery cracker, I might grab a saltine instead. I'll try it without the cracker first. Make sure that I have some nice pieces of cucumber in there. So I have some nice big pieces of cucumber. And here we go. That was a surprising little adventure. It is still too sweet for me. I mean, it, I still have that, that jello sweetness, but the lime, the sour cream, and the cucumber are actually not too bad. This is not something that I would bring to a party, but I am pleasantly surprised by it. I'm gonna try it on a saltine, see how that goes. If anything, the saltine makes it taste sweeter. That sugar is an unwelcome guest at the party. But the interesting thing about this is that the cucumber and sour cream and dill, which actually shouldn't be all that surprising, all of those flavors go really well together. And the lime actually works very nicely. It's just that sweetness. I think if I were doing this with unflavored gelatin rather than box jello, it would turn out much nicer. And number three, the one that I'm actually looking forward to a good bit, mostly because it is a recipe that, or variations of this recipe have appeared in the Jell-O cookbooks. All of the ones that I have have some variation of a tomato gazpacho or a tomato aspic. So this one I'm actually looking forward to. I need to lick off my fork again. I think part of the problem with licking off the fork 
is that it's all jello. It doesn't have any of the chunky bits. So there's nothing to break up that sickly sweetness and mayo or sour cream. I think that's what's going on there, that it's just, it's just the jello. The picture in the book had this garnished with pieces of celery. So I'm going to try this on crackers and with some celery. First, the crackers. I have a nice piece of green onion in there and some tomato. I don't see any of my cucumber. Oh, there's some cucumber. I'll put it in that as well, forming the perfect bite. And down the hatch. That was actually really good. It's a little too sweet still, but the sweetness isn't an interloper. It melds in much more nicely. The thing that I would want is a little horseradish or some spice in it. I think that would even out the sweetness and help to enhance the flavor a little bit more. I'm getting the lemon jello. It came late on this one, the sweetness of the lemon jello. Now I'm gonna try it with some celery. It's okay with the celery. I want it to be a Bloody Mary. I want the flavors of the Bloody Mary in it more than what I'm getting. It just needs a little oomph. But overall, this is not terrible. This is a workable recipe. Again, I would do it without the jello. I would do it with an unflavored gelatin and have extra lemon so that it has a little bit more of a zing and some horseradish or spice or something. But this isn't too bad. I could see myself eating the rest of the piece. Not the whole thing, but at least the rest of the piece. So my extra special treat that I saved for the end, I made some jello shots. I used the sugar-free lemon jello with a cup of boiling water, a half cup of whiskey, and a half cup of iced tea. And in each piece, I put a tipsy maraschino cherry. So maraschino cherries that have been soaked in whiskey, which I bought at the store. I mean, it's not something special that I did. This is my first time trying the sugar-free Jello, and isn't too bad. Getting the aspartame taste from the the sweetener, not too bad. I would put more tea in this. Always trying to fix everything. Otherwise, it's delicious. It's the best thing I've eaten for this whole episode, except for all the extra bits of cucumber that I had left over. Those were yummy. Well, that is it for this episode of the Eat It Loose podcast. Thank you for listening. And I want to send out a very special thank you to Comrade Quack, who kindly sent me a copy of the new Joys of Jello for a Secret Santa gift and thus inspired this whole episode. And thank you to my sister for being my hosting angel and designing my logo. You can find pictures from this episode, and you do want to see the pictures from this episode. Trust me. You can find the pictures from this episode on our website at eatatlose.com. You can find us on Facebook at Eat at Lose the Podcast, and I'm on Twitter at Lulu234. This podcast is also available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please feel free to review us. Reviews are good, or so I'm told. 
So until next time, I wish on you many great culinary adventures and have a great day.